Please bow with me as we pray. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come and to hear Your Word, to hear the voice of Jesus calling to us, speaking to us, telling us to come, to find rest, to take His yoke upon our shoulders. Lord, I ask as we um, consider this text this morning that You would give me strength to speak clearly um, and give all of us open ears to hear the words of Jesus. We pray this in the name of Your Son, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These verses are, are probably familiar to many of us. Maybe it's a text if you've grown up in the church that you've heard preached on or, or, or taught before. Maybe it's something that you've actually memorized or, or put on your wall or written on a sticky note to be an encouragement to you throughout the day. Uh, it's a popular text because it's, it's one of those passages that brings us a lot of comfort. When, when you're feeling weary, when you're feeling weighed down, when you're heavy laden. But as with many passages that are, that are popular and familiar, it's easy for us to view these few verses in isolation, to, to lose sight of the context and sometimes to lose the, the full meaning of, of what Christ is actually saying in this text. So I want to take the time this morning to, to move through these verses slowly, to consider these things carefully because the words that Christ is saying today are perhaps the most important words you will ever hear in your life. So as we look at these three verses, I want to unfold several things. First, I want to talk about the Savior's call that we see in, in verse 28. I also want to look at the, the sinner's burden in verse 29. And then finally, we'll look at the, sinner's, or the saint's rest in verses 28 and 30. So the Savior's call, the sinner's burden, and the saint's rest. But before we look at these things, uh, it's important for us to consider the context of verses 25 and, and 27. We read those just a moment ago. But what we have in these verses is, is an account of Jesus praying to His Father. And then after His prayer, He makes a declaration to the disciples that are gathered around Him. Look at verse 25. At that time, it says, Jesus declared, He's praying now, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And so now he ends his prayer and makes his declaration to his disciples. Look at verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now I want to linger here for just a moment because this text is absolutely foundational to understanding the invitation of Christ that we read in verses 28 to 30. When Christ calls on people to come, He's not just laying out an invitation that is optional, that's casual, that's non-intrusive or unimportant. He's actually speaking with supreme authority. 
So as Christ lets us listen in on this prayer to His Father, we see a theme that's repeated throughout the Gospels. Jesus is not just a mere man. Jesus is fully man. He experienced all the things that we experience, all the deprivations and temptations, all the things that make up human life, and yet He is more than a man. He actually possesses divine, supreme authority. He's the Son of God, and as the Son of God, He speaks with ultimate authority. Verse 27 that we read here is is really striking. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. All things. That's a phrase that we saw in our scripture reading this morning from Matthew 28 at the end of the gospel, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Christ reigns and rules over everyone, over everything. This is an authority that he claims for himself, that he reveals himself to have in this verse. Now, why is it important for us to recognize this this claim to authority that Christ makes? Well, it colors our understanding of the invitation that he extends. It's not a casual offer, it's a kingly offer. It's a kingly command, a kingly call. Just imagine that you were to go out to your mailbox and you found in your mailbox an invitation, handwritten, from the President of the United States, asking you to come to the White House to meet with him for some great event of state. Now also imagine that you pick up your phone and you see a text message from your buddy saying, hey, do you want to get together sometime next week? You have two invitations in front of you. But those are two very different invitations, aren't they? In the case of your friend, he's just throwing out the the possibility of of one plan that you might do. If you have time, you can do it. If you don't, you won't. It's not that big a deal one way or another. But in the case of a a handwritten invitation from the head of state, this is a big deal. You can't just throw that in your junk mail and ignore it. The, The office of the person who is extending that invitation gives it weight, gives it gravity, makes it a significant invitation. It's something of tremendous importance. And if that's true of of the President of the United States, how much more true is that when a sovereign God issues an invitation to you, a call to you? This is not something we can just ignore. It is a kingly invitation. So the first thing that we can say about the Savior's call is that it's a serious call. And so it's a call that we must take seriously. It it requires something of us. It's not just Jesus holding out an optional plan. He's issuing a call that comes with authority. Well, what is the nature of that call? Look at verse 28 uh, in a bit more depth. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When Charles Spurgeon was commenting on this text, he brought out the point, Um, that whenever there's an invitation to come, that means the person has to move from one place to another. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's speaking to a certain group of people, and he's saying, you need to move from where you are to where I am. You, You need to come to me. There is action that is required. Now, it's easy for us to misunderstand Christ at this point, um, and to misunderstand this passage. Look at the language that he uses. He says, come to me, and who does he address? All who labor and are heavy laden. Now at first blush, we can read that that phrase, that group of people, all who labor and are heavy laden, and think that's talking about people who are down on their luck, right? People who who are struggling in life. Maybe it's the person whose marriage 
is falling apart. Maybe it's the person who got the diagnosis of cancer. Maybe it's the person who's wrestling with depression or who's been unemployed for years. That's the person Jesus is talking about. Well, in one sense, yes, that's true. Jesus is speaking to that person. But the reality is Jesus is actually speaking to every person in every circumstance in all places and times. And so if we hear those words and think Jesus is talking about those people over there with really big problems, we run the risk of, of making two big mistakes. The first mistake is that we can actually minimize and misunderstand who Jesus is and what he's come to do. We live in a country where seven out of ten people would say, I'm a Christian. And yet when they do studies to say, well, what do you believe about Christianity? What do you believe about Christ? It turns out that most people think of Christ as being basically a therapist or a social worker. He's someone who's there to help me and help my life be better. And that's how we can tend to read this text. So then those people who are heavy laden are the people who are really facing tough times. And Jesus is saying, come to me and I'll, I'll take you by the hand and help you get back on your feet and, and live your best life now. But Jesus is, is far more than a therapist. He, he's more than just a social worker. He's a savior. And when we think these verses are only addressed to the down and out, to the people who are at the end of their rope, we misunderstand and underestimate the extent of what Christ came to do. He's not just here to make us feel better about our circumstances or to make our okay lives into great lives. He's here to transform our lives entirely. He's calling us not just to be comforted by Him, but to actually be conformed to Him. He calls us to come to Him, to dwell with Him, and as we'll see in due course, to serve Him as well. So if the first mistake is that we can misunderstand really who Jesus is and what he's come to do, the second mistake we can assume is the second mistake we can make is to assume that Jesus is talking about somebody else. Right? You may think, well, if I'm not down on my luck, if my life is going pretty well, then this verse is not really talking to me. This is talking about those people who are struggling. My life is okay. Uh, I'm comfortable with my job. I have a happy marriage. I have good friends. Uh, my life is, is pretty good. I don't really feel the need for the church or Christ or religion. Um, it's just not something that really speaks to where I am. Maybe you've been thinking thoughts like that this morning as you read this invitation of Christ. Maybe you think of Christianity or even of Christ himself as, as being like a crutch or a wheelchair. And just like there are some people who are physically disabled and they can't really get through life without a crutch, so there are some people who are kind of spiritually or emotionally disabled or weak and, and they need that extra help provided by these things. But if you're not born with a disability, if you're not born with a limp, you don't walk around with a crutch. And so you may think, well, spiritually I'm fine. I'm happy with my life. I'm content. I don't have this big gaping hole or need so I don't need the crutch of the cross. I don't need the wheelchair of religion. I'm, I'm fine. You may even think that Christianity is a good thing for people who need it, but it's not something that you need. Well, that mindset fundamentally misunderstands what Jesus is saying and who he's speaking to. So who is it that Christ is addressing? 
Well, I'm here to tell you that Christ is speaking not just to those people. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to every person in every situation and every circumstance you can imagine. Whether you are rich or poor, whether you're facing difficulties or victories, whether you're in the depths of depression or perfectly happy with your life, Christ is addressing you here in this text. And He says that if you are here this morning but are outside of union with Him, you are not in a right relationship with Christ. And I'm not just saying, have you at some point in your life walked down an aisle or had an experience? Is Christ the Lord and Savior of your life today in every area? If that is not your position, then this is who Christ is addressing. And he says that if you are outside of that right relationship with him, you actually have a burden. You're actually carrying a, a yoke, and it's something that you may not even know about. So what is that sinner's burden? What is that yoke that we have? Well, as we look at this passage as a whole, it's, it's important to pay attention to the language, the words that Jesus chooses to use. Uh, he talks about those who labor. He talks about those who are heavy laden. And he speaks about a yoke and a burden. Now, it's interesting when you look in the, in the Bible, the word yoke is used in two ways. The first way is the way you would expect. It's when you're talking about oxen and cattle and livestock, right? But the second way, and I think this is used even more commonly, yokes are used to talk about people. People bearing yokes. People being under a burden or a yoke. And that's strange to us because we're used to thinking about everyone as an independent individual. Right? Every man is the captain of his own ship. Every person is the master of their own destiny. Uh, but that's not how the Bible understands the human condition. The Bible shows us that in reality, we're not the masters. We're the slaves. That's an offensive message to us today. But just, just consider how, how this is used. Uh, in the Old Testament, for example, the people of Israel, as they follow Christ, are, are spoken of as, as bearing the yoke of Yahweh. And at times when they are rebelling against God and His law, they're spoken of as bearing the yoke of Baal or, or the yoke of Babylon. The language of bearing someone's yoke brings with it the idea of service or of, or of worship or of submission. You're under someone else's rule or authority. And everyone in the Bible is spoken of as being under authority. We are all servants of someone and something. So, so biblically speaking, the question is not, are you under a yoke? The question is, whose yoke do you carry? Whose servant are you? I think when Jesus speaks of the yoke and the burden of, of those who are labor and are heavy laden, he, he's talking about what Paul is, is, is getting at in Galatians 5, where he talks about the yoke of slavery. And in this passage, he, he contrasts the yoke of slavery with what Jesus talks about here, the yoke of the Savior. So let's just take a moment to, to consider those two yokes, the yoke of slavery and the yoke of the Savior. What is this yoke of slavery or this yoke of sin that, that is referred to? Well, we've already said that it's not just talking about people who are down on their luck, right? This yoke of slavery is far more fundamental to who, what it means to be human. It's something that applies to all of us in all circumstances and in all times. And there are a number of things that are kind of included in this uh, label of the yoke of slavery or, or the burden of the law. I'll flip over a few pages to Matthew chapter 23. Uh, in this text, Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees 
And he actually uses this exact same language of a burden. Look at Matthew 23, verse 4. Jesus says this about the religious leaders. He says, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. This is a striking verse. It it paints a vivid picture of the burden and the bondage of religious hypocrisy and of what we might call works righteousness. Now, if you've you've not grown up in the church, uh, that language of works righteousness might seem a bit odd to you, but the concept is, is really not that difficult. Works righteousness is the idea that I can make God happy with me by doing good things. And and this can take a lot of different forms. Uh, For the Pharisees, this meant that people were supposed to try and keep every little detail of the law of God in order to gain God's pleasure. Actually, the Pharisees and the scribes would go beyond the law that God had revealed and they'd add their own rules, their own regulations and traditions and would say, if you carefully keep these, then God will accept and reward you. In our day, we we can find a a less structured form of this, works righteousness, but something that's very common nonetheless. Uh, How many of you have heard someone speak about karma? You know, the idea that if you do good things, good things will happen to you. If you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. We're basically rewarded according to our works. That's works righteousness. Even those of us within the church can sometimes live with this attitude. We We can say we don't believe it, but functionally, it's what characterizes our life. We'll talk about salvation by grace, but we'll still put our confidence in in our good behavior. The problem with all of this, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, the problem with this works righteousness is that it, it underestimates the seriousness of sin. We can think, sure, I, I, I make mistakes, I sin, but I, I can manage my sin, right? We send people to anger management classes. I can carry my sin. I, I, can, I can kind of make up for my sin by doing some good things to balance it out. So as long as I try to be a nice person, a, a decent person, I'm honest, I'm a good guy, then God will accept me. But that's works righteousness. And Jesus rejects works righteousness in no uncertain terms. He says to the Pharisees, what you have done is you've tied up these, these heavy burdens and put them on people's backs. You've taken the sin which looks so light to you, which seems so manageable, and you've put it like a crushing weight on the backs of your hearers. Jesus doesn't commend the religious leaders for their works righteousness. He condemns them for it. Because works righteousness is not righteousness at all. In fact, it it ignores the reality that sin is a burden And that trying to keep the law is like trying to carry a heavy, burdensome weight. Um, Have you ever tried to pick something up that you thought was light, and then you find out it's actually really, really heavy? Um, I've been traveling, so whenever my wife sends me out with suitcases, I always have that experience. It's way heavier than I thought it was going to be. Maybe even so heavy that you can't even lift it at all. That's that's how our sin is. We look at it and we think, "This this is a pretty small thing. It's pretty benign. We make mistakes, but it's not that big a deal. But we misunderstand how weighty sin is. Sin is actually infinitely weighty, infinitely heavy, because we've sinned against an infinite God. Jesus himself, just to give you an example, in the Sermon on the Mount, said that anyone who is angry with his brother or calls him a fool is actually guilty of murder. That's not the way that we think about sin. 
We, we, we tend to think, well, yeah, there are times when I've been angry, but everyone gets angry. It's, it's not that big a deal. But that's not how Jesus views sin at all. Jesus says otherwise. He says that being angry with someone or hating someone is like killing them. The mistake the Pharisees made is the same mistake we made. We underestimate the weight of sin, and we think that we can balance out our bad deeds just by doing some good deeds. They thought that they could keep God's law through their own strength, and that by doing those good deeds, they could make God happy. But Jesus destroys this idea. He shows the Pharisees that trying to attain acceptance through keeping the law is like a baby trying to bench press a thousand pounds. It's not possible. It's too heavy. It's too much weight. And so when we attempt to carry our sins, to just bear it ourselves, we're dealing with a weight that will only crush us. That's what we mean when we talk about the yoke of slavery and the burden of the law. You can look at a passage like Acts 15. In Acts 15, we have the, the, the Jerusalem Council of the Church. And there are these men who have come into the church, the Judaizers, and they say, well, what you have to do to be acceptable to God is to keep all the Old Testament law perfectly. And in response to that, in Acts 15, verse 10, Peter, the apostle, says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. He recognizes that the law was given not to say, follow all these rules and you'll get into heaven. The law was given to weigh us down and show us how insufficient our best deeds are, how needy we are of a Savior. If we try to justify yourself by the law, you will find yourself only judged by the law. This yoke of the law was given not to show a path to salvation or to put forward a plan of works righteousness, but to show us how serious our sins really are. That's what Jesus is talking about when He speaks of, of those who are labor and are heavy laden. He's speaking to all of us, men and women, boys and girls, old and young, and He's saying, you are carrying a burden. You are bearing a load that you may not even know you carry, but it's a burden that will drag you down if you try to live by your own righteousness. If you try to make yourself right with God, if you try to handle and carry this weighty and deep sin, it's like a yoke that is pushing on your neck. Now, how do you know if you're living a life that's heavy laden? Well, you can't just go on your feelings. There are some people who may be struggling with depression, Maybe going through deep waters, and yet they have freedom in Christ. And there are others who may have everything they could want in life. They wake up every morning singing a song, and yet they're burdened and heavy laden. So how do you tell? How do you know if you are burdened or have, and heavy laden or not? Well, the key is your relationship with Christ. The key is, have you come to Christ? And the Apostle Paul actually gives us a really vivid picture of what, what a burdened and heavy-laden life actually looks like. It doesn't have to do with our psychological experience. It has to do with our relationship to God. In Titus chapter 3, he says this, speaking about himself before he was a Christian. He says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating others one another. Isn't that insightful language? Paul is picking up on the same idea that Jesus is speaking about here in Matthew chapter 11. All of us bear a yoke. All of us bear a burden. 
All of us are slaves of something. No man is his own master. And outside of Christ, we're slaves to our own passions and pleasures. Have you ever thought about that? That the very things that you enjoy, that you delight in, the things that you find pleasure in, can actually be your master, can control you, you can be their slave. We see examples of that all the time, especially recently. You read the newspapers, and what do you find? It's full of stories of powerful, wealthy, influential men whose lives are falling apart. Why? Because their passions, their pleasures, were their master. And they did things that have hurt others and have hurt themselves and are wrecking and ruining lives. They did not master their passions and pleasures. Their passions and pleasures mastered them. Maybe you can see parallels for that in your own life. Maybe there are sexual sins that ruin your life. Adultery, lust, pornography. Those are things that are common in our culture. Common, unfortunately, even in many quarters in the church. But it can be more subtle as well. It's not just the big sins. It's not just the man who, who lashes out in anger and kills someone or the person who, who acts in passion and commits adultery. It's the person who wants others to think well of them. And so he'll do whatever it takes, say anything, do anything to earn people's respect. Kids, have you ever said something mean about somebody else just so that people would laugh and think you were funny? Have you ever taken something from somebody just because you wanted to use it, you wanted to play with it? Jesus says that's a sin. You're hurting that person to get what you want. You're saying, I'm more important than you are. You need to move over for me. And we can think, well, maybe I said something mean, but, but then I can say something nice and it'll all be good. Or maybe I can take away this toy, but, but I'll give him that toy and now it's all okay. But that doesn't deal with the problem. We can't deal with the problem. We can't make up for our sins. Mothers, maybe you find yourself frustrated, discontent with your, with your calling in life, and so you constantly give in to the temptation to, to vent and to complain, to tell people how hard you have it. But whether you're an adult or a child, whether your sins are big and obvious or small and subtle, you are a slave to your passions and pleasures if you have not turned to Christ. Just as Paul says here, you're foolish, you're disobedient, you're, you're led astray, you're living a life that's totally self-absorbed, self-centered. In other words, you're heavy laden. You're bearing a burden, the burden of the law. You have your own sins which weigh you down, and then you try to make up your sins by works righteousness, but that's a burden itself. Maybe you've not thought about these things before. Maybe, maybe you've not even recognized it until we've been reading these verses this morning. Maybe you can look at yourself today and you're able to admit, I, I do have a burden. I, I do carry a yoke. I am heavy laden. There are sins in my life and there's this pattern of works righteousness that I, I just can't seem to break out of. Maybe you're like the character in Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's tale, who, who has this heavy burden on his back. And when he begins to see the reality of this burden, the weight of this burden, his purpose in life is to find out how this can be dealt with, how it can, can roll off his back, how it can be lifted and taken care of. You're like that man. If you are here without Christ today, you have a yoke and a burden on your back and around your neck. But there's hope in Jesus' words. Because in contrast to this yoke of slavery, there's another yoke. 
the yoke of the Savior. And while the yoke of slavery is a heavy burden that pushes and crushes and condemns, the yoke of the Savior is different. Look at verse 30, where Jesus says, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see the difference there between these two yokes? The yoke that is easy, the yoke that is light, the burden that is light. This yoke which Jesus offers is is weighted for the weary. It's designed for even the weak among us to be able to bear. Now again, at this point, you might think, well, well, why are we talking in terms of yokes and burdens at all? I mean, isn't the opposite of a burden the absence of a burden? It isn't freedom being my own master. You're talking about freedom, but changing one master for another. Isn't freedom being my own master? I don't want to serve anyone else. Well, the scriptures tell us, again, how foolish our thinking is, because we simply cannot be our own masters. Even if no other person in the world were trying to control you, your own passions and pleasures will control you. We can't control ourselves. We can't. How many times have you found yourself doing the thing that you know you don't want to do, and yet you just, you just can't seem to break out? We're not as strong as we think we are. We're not as powerful as we think we are. We are all in service to something. Think about a, a nation that's, that's suffering under a tyrannical government. What does that nation need to do to be free? Well, two things. First, it needs to maybe throw off that, that yoke of, 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 of a tyrannical government. But if that's all that you do, throw off this bad government, you're going to end up in a place that's as bad or worse than where you started. Because a, a, a nation with no government is a nation of anarchy. You'd have mobs in the street, looting in the stores. Every man would do what was right in his own eyes. You can read the book of Judges to see how that works out. Now, to find, find real freedom, that nation has to do two things. It has to put off the yoke of slavery, and it needs to find a government that can rule with justice and wisdom. And, and the same is true spiritually. We must not only stop serving sin, we must now turn and serve God. We must serve Christ. Now again, we need to be careful here and intentional because our tendency, the wiring of our hearts, is to hear those words and say, okay, okay, the path Jesus is laying out is simple. He's talking to people who who bear this sinner's burden that we're all born with, and he's saying the way to find rest is to stop bearing that burden and instead carry this burden. You can find rest and happiness and, and be made right with God. Maybe you've heard people say things like that. They'll say things like, Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. Jesus didn't come to, um, to reinstate the law. He just wants us to follow Him. He just wants us to be imitators of Christ. And that's how you become a Christian. Not by keeping all these rules, but just by being like Jesus. Being loving and kind and caring for the poor and so forth. But that's not what Jesus is saying. We cannot think of salvation as something that we accomplish, as something that that we do. If we think of salvation in those terms, we're still bearing that burden of the law. We're still operating with that works righteousness mindset. We've just changed the rule stick. We're still under that yoke of sin. But Jesus is saying something very different here. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and what? And you will be able to earn rest for yourself. You will be able to to achieve enlightenment and satisfaction. You'll you'll finally get your life together. No. He doesn't say any of those things. What Christ says is simple. Come to me and I will give you rest. 
I will give you rest. You, you cannot earn salvation through keeping the law. Neither can you earn salvation just by following Jesus and trying to be Christ-like. Those are both works righteousness mentalities. That's not what Jesus is offering. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. He is saying, come to me. Come to me. And, and as you come to me, you will receive rest. Not because you've earned it. Not because you deserve it. But simply because he gives it to us. Remember at the beginning of the sermon, we, we said that verse 28 flows out of verse 27. Remember what, what verse 27 says. It says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Do you see who's in the driver's seat here? Jesus is the initiator. The first step to salvation is recognizing that we can't save ourselves. Christ is the one who saves. Christ is the one who issues this kingly call. Christ is the one who chooses to reveal himself to us. And Christ is the one who sovereignly gives us rest. And only after he has called us to himself and given us this rest, do we then receive instruction about how to live. Look at verse 29 as we close here. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, this is a wonderful passage because I think it, it challenges all of our natural misconceptions. We, we tend to think either in terms of legalism or license. The kind of works righteousness mentality we've described or the idea that I can do whatever I want. Now, we've already talked about how verse 28 really challenges our legalism. Rest is not earned, it's given. We can think of Paul's words in, in Titus chapter 3, where he says, But then, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Why? Because we had followed Christ? Because we had kept the law? Because we had tried to be a good person? No. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. It, de it demolishes our legalism. But sometimes, when we find out that our works can't earn us salvation, that they can't save us, we fall to the other extreme. And we can say, well, if it's not what I do that determines my standing before God, then it doesn't matter what I do. I, I can do whatever I want. Jesus has given this gift of rest. I don't have to earn it. It's free. So I can just kind of take the rest, add it to my life, and live how I want. But that goes against this text as well. Because while Christ gives rest, He also calls us to obedience. Salvation is, is not just about God adding something extra to your life. Forgiveness, or, or rest, or peace, or eternal life, or, or, or money, or prosperity, whatever it might be. It's about God commanding your life as Lord. People can tend to think that, that being saved is like having a get-out-of-jail-free card in the game Monopoly. And they think that when they die, they'll just pull out their card and say, Look! I'm a Christian. And God will say, well, I, I guess I've got to let you into heaven. No matter what you've done, no matter how you've lived, uh, you have the card. You're in. But that's not the Christian life that Jesus calls us to in verse 29. Yes, we are freely forgiven. We are given the gift of rest, but we're also commanded to take up Christ's yoke. And we're called to learn from Christ as well. Our salvation is based on the work which Christ has done, not on our works, on His mercy. 
But He saves us not just from something, the punishment of sin. He saves us to something, a life of happiness and holiness with Him for all eternity. And so as we, we find rest as we take Christ's yoke upon us, it's that paradox. We find freedom in service. We find rest in working for Christ and walking with Christ. And so the yoke of slavery that we're born with is, is exchanged for the yoke of the Savior. When we come to Christ, we find rest. It's a rest that cannot be lost. And yet, as we walk with Christ in our Christian life, we find a deeper rest, a rest that is renewed and and refreshed. As we learn from Christ, this one who is gentle and lowly in heart, Christ is not revealing Himself here as a a terror who sets out to condemn us or, or merely a therapist who wants to give us a happier life. He's presenting Himself as a master, But He gives us a burden that is easy, a yoke that is light, something that is weighted for the weary. It's interesting to see just how central rest is in these verses. Uh, When Spurgeon preached on this passage, he had two points to his sermon. Point number one, rest. Point number two, rest. The title of his sermon was Rest, Rest. But it kind of gets at the heart of it. When you see the burden that we have, when you really see yourself as you are, the condition in which we find ourselves, you find yourself saying, I need rest. I need relief. I need someone to come and help and save me. Not just to tweak things at the edges, but to transform and command my life. We really begin to to feel the truth of Augustine's words and the confessions where he said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. And this rest goes beyond just having a comfortable life. Paul had this rest, and he suffered shipwrecks, imprisonments, and beatings. Jesus possessed this rest, and he was cruelly betrayed, unjustly tried, and brutally killed. Your life may be full of hardships, and difficulties, and trials, but if you have Christ, you have this abiding rest. You're able to say with the Apostle Paul in Romans, For I consider that the sufferings of this life, of this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This rest is not about earthly peace and pleasures. It's promising eternal peace and pleasures. The saint's rest is the sweet promise that Christ holds out to us. It's a rest that is given as we come to Christ. It's a rest that is found as we walk in the Christian life. And it's a rest that is certain as well. And I'll end with this. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, learn from me, take my yoke upon you, and you might find rest. Who knows? Maybe it'll work for you. No. No. He says, you will find rest for your souls. It's a certain promise. And as we close today, we we need to take this promise very seriously. We tend to think about Christianity all wrong. We we think about Christianity or the cross the same way we think about CrossFit. CrossFit is a a way of exercising that's really popular. There are CrossFit gyms all over. And people use it to improve their their physical strength and health. And we tend to think of the cross as being like CrossFit. It's one way of getting in shape. So what CrossFit does for the body, maybe Christianity can do for the soul. But, but CrossFit's not the only way to be healthy, right? Maybe, maybe this person enjoys CrossFit and that person likes running and that person likes 
going for a jog. At the end of the day, you can't give a one-size-fits-all answer because everybody's different. We all have different abilities and interests, and the important thing is just that you're doing something active to live a healthy life. And we think about religion the same way. Christianity is, is just one option among many. Hinduism, Buddhism, agnosticism, atheism. As long as you're trying to be a good person, as long as it's helping to encourage you spiritually, then you can find rest. No problem. The cross is just like CrossFit. It's just one way of getting to the same place. But that's not how Christ speaks about it at all. He says, if you want rest, you will only find rest in me in coming to me, in heeding this call. Rest will not be found anywhere else. Not true rest. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you do not bear the yoke of the Savior, then you're still under the yoke of slavery. If you have not yet found rest in Christ, then you do not have rest. No matter how happy your life may be, no matter how content you are in your circumstances, you are in great and grave need of a Savior. So hear Him now as He calls to you and says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. Let's take a moment silently to reflect on the word of the Lord.